It was really tough for me to look at my life and the state of my life and associate the chaos with alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there was a part of me, there was a time in my life where I used to call it like debriefing, where it's like you'd go to a party and then the next morning, you know, when you're like hungover and like oh, yeah. eating coffee and breakfast burritos, you like debrief with your girlfriends about, right. you know, like the, the shenanigans of the night before. But I think, you know, even after just like a year or so of drinking for me, I mean, that started to get pretty ugly and some pretty nasty stuff started to come out, you know, and you'd realize that it was like, wow, it wasn't just a night of kind of fun and fun and games. You know, I I ruined relationships and I hurt people on those nights. The thing that you feel like is ruining your life is also the thing that feels like your safety blanket. You know, like alcohol was the thing that, you know, loosened my lead on life. Yeah. Right. But you, I also, it was hard for me to reconcile that it made me sort of the outgoing, confident young girl. And also at the same time, it was like a caller that was slowly choking me to death. Sometimes I'm afraid and I want to be making more money or I want to be more established or I just want more opportunity. But you know what? It, it is one small baby step at a time. And when I actually take stock of where I was versus where I am now, um, you know, it, it makes me emotional how grateful I am because it is so I honestly this is the metaphor I use that, you know, I think for some people who are alcoholics, you know, it's like a plane that takes off and then crashes. But I was a plane that never took off. You know, the fact that I'm allowed in like professional environments (laughs) and relied upon to keep my mouth shut and that I can just be a worker among workers, I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am. Welcome to season two of Sober as Fuck, the podcast. I'm Casey, your fellow sober human and host of this podcast. I am once again so excited for you to listen (laughs) to this very special person in my life, Julia, and her incredible message in this episode. No one gives mic drops the way Julia does. (laughs) It's incredible. Her friendship has changed my sobriety for the better. And in this episode, you'll see exactly why that is. We unpack a lot about sex and sobriety, mixing drugs and alcohol when we were using, and how worth it it is to work through those dark moments in sobriety to get through to the light. I hope wherever you are, you are happy, healthy, and safe. I hope this episode reminds you that no matter where you are in sobriety, you are never alone. We love you. Here's my incredible friend, Julia. Well, hi, I'm Julia. I'm an alcoholic. I'm 27 years old and I just have about over three and a half years sober. Uh, I work in entertainment. Uh, I have a dog named Ziggy and a cat named Maurice and I'm really grateful and I'm really grateful to A, be sober and B, be here. Yes. So what are three words to describe your first year of sobriety? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The first couple of days, to be honest, were really lonely Um, because I didn't tell anyone that I was getting sober, even though I was dating a guy who had eight days sober (laughs) at the time. And um, I didn't think that I could get through seven days. So I didn't tell anyone. You know, I had lost... basically all my friends I had lost. I hadn't spoken to my family in years. So the, the first couple of moments were insanely lonely. I would say though that my first year of sobriety though was also profoundly restorative. A third word to describe my first year of sobriety, grounding. 
I think my life was really characterized by chaos. Everything was, was just in a constant state of disarray, you know, from like my personal hygiene to my personal relationships to, you know, I was in, in college at the time. Um, I should probably say I got, I got sober 2023. Um, it was really tough for me to look at my life and the state of my life and associate the chaos with alcoholism and drug addiction. It was, it was a moment of, of, reflection about the person that I thought I was was versus the person that I actually was. I thought that I was a nice girl who mm-hmm. cared about people and who was an absolute delight to, to be around. Um, mm-hmm. But I was, yeah, I was chaos walking. I was trouble. I think it was that moment of like, how did I get so far away from the person that I thought I was? What are three words that you would use to describe your sobriety today? My sobriety changes. And to be honest with you, like I think over the, the past year, like during COVID, yeah. you know, I went through a loop, you know, my, my uh, sobriety was taken for a loop. I mean, it, it's been, yeah. it's been, it's been a really wild, it's been a really wild experience. I mean, I think also a huge part of my sobriety the past couple of years has been you and our sort of group of girlfriends or like young group of girlfriends, um, yeah. you know, that, that I think that sobriety and life have actually like really intertwined themselves. Yeah. You know, I think, I think when I first got sober, it was sort of, my life felt very kind of compartmentalized. Yeah. Um, And now, and now I think my sobriety has become much more integrated into the foundational structure of my life. I would call you because like I had some exciting news or I was just having like a shit day. And I know that it's like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily calling you saying like, Oh, I need, I need help in regards to sobriety because I know that in our conversations, that's naturally going to happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So another way to describe my sobriety maybe would be integrated. What do you like the most about your sober self? I no longer have to feel a profound sense of humiliation. Yeah. Over the person I am after engaging with people, um, especially in, in social contexts. Yeah. Um, that's a real that's a real weight off of my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there was a part of me, there was a time in my life where I used to call it like debriefing, where it's like you'd go to a party and then the next morning, you know, when you're like hungover and like oh, yeah. eating coffee and breakfast burritos, you like debrief with your girlfriends about right. you know, like the the shenanigans of the night before. But I think, you know even after just like a year or so of drinking for me, I mean, that started to get pretty ugly and some pretty nasty stuff started to come out, you know, and you'd realize that it was like, wow, it wasn't just a night of kind of fun and fun and games. You know, I I ruined relationships and I hurt people on those nights. I think just having that weight off my shoulders has been, you know, I I love that. And and actually every single time, like I'm out at a party and I'm, and I'm coming home, I'm always struck by this moment of gratitude that I'm not that girl anymore. That that's super, super profound. But I think especially in my core relationships with, with people in my immediate circles, in my relationship with my family, in my relationship with my partner, um, man, I am so grateful for that, that I don't have to be, you know, the king of chaos. What's one thing you would want to tell sober you on her first day of sobriety? Uh, that you're exactly where you're supposed to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I really struggled with defining my alcoholism mm-hmm. um you know like I was a periodic binge drinker so like I would go through periods of time where in regards to my consumption of alcohol like I would be you know dry for some period of time I mean mm-hmm. I was you know popping pills every day and and, and smoking weed yeah. um, but I think I I think that I thought because I'm, I'm an extreme person 
right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that in order to fit into AA, I had to be the most extreme case of alcoholism anyone had ever seen, because then it would be undeniable that I was, that I was where I was supposed to be. And I think I was so afraid in some ways, as much as I didn't want to be an alcoholic, I didn't want to acknowledge that I was a drug addict. Um, I was afraid that maybe this wouldn't work for me. And, you know, after my, you know, my parents threw me in therapy by the time I was 11 years old. Um, and after going to therapy and going to treatment when I was 20, seeing, you know, so many different psychiatrists, like I was really at the end of my rope, you know, like I, I was considering ending my life. I, I just really didn't feel like I, I just really didn't feel like there was a way out for me. So as much as I didn't want to be an alcoholic, I didn't want to be a drug addict. If like AA wasn't the place for me, then like, then I, then that truly was it. You know, it was just like literally me alone in my apartment, like realizing that I had absolutely nothing. Like it was the most, for as much emotional pain I had been in for most of my life, like that was a true emotional bottom for me. And so I think if I could tell me anything on the first day of sobriety, that it's like, it's okay for you to be here. You're a hundred percent in the right place. You don't need to feel shame about the amount that you did drink or didn't drink. Yeah. Right. Which was the battle Um, the two sides that I was constantly vacillating between. Today I was talking with um, a close friend of mine who for years now has really been struggling with their um, addiction to weed. And they were like, but you know, like, I mean, my life really isn't that bad. Like I can pay my rent and like, I have a job and, you know, and I'm okay. And, but it's like the whole conversation leading up to that point is about how how terrible they feel about that or how worried they are about right. their relationship with weed and, and truly like the worry coming from what if I don't have this substance in my life anymore? And then going back on it and being like, but you know, actually my life hasn't totally fallen apart. And it's like, it really doesn't have to totally fall apart for you to feel better. Like it does not have to no. it does not have to get any worse than like you in your apartment feeling terrible. Like it can end there. I think that's, I think that's the craziest thing is like the madness ends when, like when you're ready to ask for help. The thing that you feel like is ruining your life is also the thing that feels like your safety blanket. You know, like alcohol was the thing that, you know, loosened my lead on life. Yeah. Right. But you, I also, it was hard for me to reconcile that it made me sort of the outgoing, confident young girl. And also at the same time, it was like a collar that was slowly choking me to death. I thought about the alcoholic being, you know, the homeless man under a bridge, you know, with, you know, drinking out of the paper bag and sure, like a hundred percent. Yes. That is one manifestation of drug addiction and alcoholism, but it is by no means the rule. How have your career and ambitions changed in sobriety? (laughs) Okay. So, um, (laughs) uh, so I got sober, I got sober my, um, my, my last year, my senior year of college. Um, so and yes, I was, tw- I was 23 so you can sort of piece together fast. <laughs> that was a bit of a winding, a bit of a winding road. For me. Um, I actually, you know, when I started, um, when I first went to college, I was actually going to college in upstate New York and I was an anthropology major, um, oh. which a lot of people don't know, um, which I promptly ended up dropping out of because it turns out that a Southern California girl does not survive well <laughs> in upstate New York. Um, I mean, there were other, there were other problems. I mean, my, my addiction was already, you know, sort of full throttle at that point. Um, yeah. But I ended up dropping out and, and ended up 
you know, majoring in music at a, a small liberal arts college um, in California. Um, but I was like pretty lost, you know, like a lot of, a lot of my friends were sort of, you know, making records and, you know, I'm a singer songwriter and, you know, I, I loved writing, but man, I just, I don't know. There was something that was sort of private about it for me. Like, you know, even performing the older I got just became harder and harder. I think the less I wanted to be sort of center stage. Yeah. Um, and people started looking at me funny. They were like, why are you popping so much Xanax before you get up on stage? Like, isn't that like <laughs> sort of like counterproductive to the energy levels that you're supposed to yeah. um, have when, when you're on stage. And I remember, you know, getting sober no, the November of my, my senior year. And, um, it was, I, I had a very tenuous relationship, a very tenuous relationship in music because I just felt like to engage with it was to engage with my ugly wasted past. Yeah. Um, and I was very uncomfortable with that. So, um, you know, I ended up, I ended up uh, graduating and feeling pretty lost. And instead of you know, going out and being like, all right, I've graduated, the world is my oyster. To be honest with you, I really threw myself into AA yeah. Um, I was at meetings at least five days a week. I, you know, cleaned coffee mugs after the meeting. I was greeter. I had friends where I would, you know, hike after the meetings. Oh. And, um, you know, I remember I finally get a phone call from a friend of mine and she was like, um, oh, you know, my, uh, our, our mutual friend is doing this show for this festival that's happening in Hollywood. And we really want to recommend you to sell tickets. Oh my god. And I remember feeling so humiliated, like, wow, fuck. You know, five years. Well, yeah. I guess technically four and a half, because half of you was spent <laughs> in treatment. Um, and I'm the fucking bitch that they call to sell tickets. Yeah. Like how not only how untalented must I be, but wow, everyone must think so little of me and my abilities that all all I'm trusted with is the girl who sells tickets but yeah. you know my program thankfully like i was really in it had taught me to 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 humbly be of service yeah. um so you know i was going to be the best fucking ticket seller that you'd ever seen and you know this girl was doing a, a one woman um you know comedy music show and um you know i she I ended up needing help so i would go and i'd pick her up and i'd load up all of her gear and i labeled all of her gear and made an inventory sheet and i learned how to set up her, her whole setup and i took wow. photos for her and i attended every single show and i sold those tickets and um you know and i and i think the thing was is that you know it, it didn't it didn't matter you know what who cares what that moment was i'll tell you that after that preliminary moment of feeling like such a piece of actual human shit yeah. uh, for being where I was in my life, getting to a point where um, I felt grateful to just be a part of life. And it wasn't long after that, that I got recommended to, um, you know, score a short film for a friend, uh, a good friend of mine, her roommate was, was doing a film and I was asked to, to do the music and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't quite prepared, but I ran home and I, I made my demo reel and ended up getting the gig. And um, then, you know, met another guy in AA and ended up scoring his film and then met another guy at the gym and ended up scoring his film and then ended up starting taking composition lessons again and ended up applying to a, a you know, a pretty prestigious program in that field. And, you know, it's just been like one foot in front of the other. You know, my career has really started to open up and sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes I'm afraid and I want to be making more money or I want to be more established or I just want more opportunity. But you know what? 
it, it is one small baby step at a time. And when I actually take stock of where I was versus where I am now, um, you know, it, it makes me emotional how grateful I am because it is so, I honestly, this is the metaphor I use that, you know, I think for some people who are alcoholics, you know, it's like a plane that takes off and then crashes, but I was a plane that never took off. Yeah. You know, the fact that I'm allowed in like professional environments <laughs> and relied upon to keep my mouth shut and that I can just be a worker among workers. Yeah. I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am. It's not just that my career has changed, you know, not only my career path, but, but, you know, um, where I am in it, it's that my mentality has shifted. So yeah. you know, when I get a piece rejected, it's like, okay, yeah. All right. Let me handle this with a sense of grace. <laughs> to be honest with you, that's really the thing that's allowed me to move to move forward in my career. It's it's yeah. having a sense of grace in the face of rejection and and sometimes people trying to deliberately be cruel. So many of us in early sobriety have a lot of debt from our drinking and using days. Do you have any advice for women listening who are afraid to even open their mail or check their credit card statements at this point? You yeah. know, taking things one step at a time. You know, just like grab the key to your mailbox and just like walk outside and get the mail. Call a friend because you don't have to do it alone. And what I have found is that the things that terrify me, that give me a pit in my stomach, that when I think about it, make me turn red and start sweating, mm -hmm. um, are almost never as bad as I as I think they are. So to all of to all of the women who are listening, who are going out and getting their mail and opening it and facing it, I applaud you because that's a courageous thing to do. Yes. Especially without a drink in your hand, girl. Especially, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's it like going out with your friends when you're sober? I like this question for you because we talked about this the other day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. It's like funny also getting that question now. I mean, I've been going out a little bit more sort of post, post well, I don't even want to say post-COVID because now we yeah. have like a new Delta variant. But, but yeah, as, as as sort of at least things in LA start to like open up a little bit. But, you know, I've obviously like haven't really been out in a year. So sometimes yeah. it's like a little, it's a little weird right now because I feel like I'm like out of practice just from a social perspective. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I love going out. Like, you know, going, I'm going to bars, going, you know, my boyfriend just threw a party with 150 people at his house. So, right. Like, oh my you God. know, um, and like, yes, I was like the sober bitch at the end of the party, you know, cleaning everything up and, you know, pouring out all the cans of beer. If you're in early sobriety, I probably wouldn't recommend doing that. But let me just tell you, once you see all the, the drunk people around you and how gross everything is, you're like, ew, this needs to go down the fucking drain. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> Yeah, honestly, like I, I love it. It's like for however awkward I sometimes may feel, give people like honestly like 20, 30 minutes into their drinking and everyone else is so like loosey-goosey and I sometimes find that I loosen up myself as well. Yeah. To be 100% honest, you know, I think sometimes if I'm with like a smaller group of people and everyone's like taking shots, yeah. uh, that can be a moment where I get a little bit of a pang of like, oh, I feel left out. And it has really nothing to do with the drink itself other than the yeah. drink being a mechanism by which to connect with others. Yeah. And I think those are moments where I try and step back and remind myself that it's like, baby, for you, it is the long game. Yeah. It is the long game of connection. And I don't have any less of a relationship with these people because I'm not taking the shot because I can fucking guarantee that none of these people would want me around tonight if I were the one drinking. Yeah. Um, and that's a super important thing. Yeah. You know, another thing that I do, you know, it depends on the on the mood that I'm in. Um, sometimes um, I just like I'm like, 
like, hey, HP, what the fuck is up? It's your bitch, Julia. And I'm just like checking in, which is going to sound pretty dumb, especially if you're like not in the program, which like I totally get. And, you know, if that's not someone's cup of tea, you can just honestly like ignore that. Um, But what I also do as well is like I play the tape forward. Yeah. And I, and I think especially coming out of, you know, being like starting to be social again and coming out of this pandemic, um, I really make a point of doing that just cause I, I'm, I'm hundred percent honest, like just feeling a little bit more awkward yeah. <laughs> than yeah. perhaps I did, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Um, for me where I am right now, you know, I've had relapse dreams. Um, yeah. Relapse is not a part of my story, but fuck, if you've had a relapse dream and you wake mm. up and you're like, fuck, did I actually relapse last night? Yeah. You realize like, no, I was in bed at 930. Um, yeah. It's like fine, <laughs> but holy fuck, did that feel real? I don't want that feeling. Yeah. So like, I, I really try and look at it from like, I'm not going to pretend like, look, my drinking and my using, of course, there were times that were fun. Yeah. You know, I would be a liar to sit here and say like every single moment that I did it, you know, I hated it. I definitely yeah. hated it towards the end. Um, but no, it was, you know, for me, it's important to acknowledge like, yeah, that first glass of wine might feel really good. Yeah. But let's let's play the tape forward because I know for however good it feels in that first moment, it's not going to feel that good by the end of the night. Yeah, I think it's so important for people to know that are not sober but are interested in sobriety. But like no one who is sober is sober because they didn't like alcohol and they didn't like drugs. Like that was not the no. issue. It's like it's it comes from like a real passion and love of drugs. Like it's I never, love drugs and yeah. I love alcohol. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's so not like oh god, like this always felt. It was like overwhelming how desperately it made. Uh, in my experience, it was overwhelming how desperately, like I, I needed it in order to feel any sense of or even just temporary sense of peace, right? I always say, like, if there were anyone who, like, had my thoughts and was, like, going through the mental drama that I was going through, they would have used the way that I was using. Like, it was, I mean, it was just, oh, Maurice! Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Maurice, speak on it! Um, He has many thoughts on it. He's got a lot of thoughts on it. Um, I have a friend who, you know, who's going through this thing with weed, and I hear them, like, I hear them trying to find the perfect balance of weed in their daily life. They've literally like the desperate experience. What is the phrase? It's like the desperate experiment or however it's, however it's phrased. I don't know. I love that. The desperate experiment. Yeah. It's a desperate experiment of like, okay, well it's only two puffs tonight and it's only, it's, it's literally the same fucking thing as alcoholism. Okay. It's only going to be a a glass of wine tonight. Okay. Actually only a bottle of wine tonight or only a couple of shots with my friends or like, I'm not going to, you know, pop a clonopin after that. It's just, it's so, it's so insane and insidious. And, you know, I, I always felt like I was trying to play the chemist. Yeah. Like, yes. you know, like I felt like my factory default setting was fucked up. Like I felt like, you know, whatever the fuck God was doing when he made me, he fucked up. But, <laughs> you know, like my sort of like natural, let's say chemical balances, I felt like were wrong. I just felt like such a miserable, insecure fuck. So I felt like really entitled to be like, okay, yeah, but I'm just like experimenting to get me to the baseline that everybody else is at. And I'm entitled to be quote unquote normal. 
Yes. You know, and then, and it's that kind of constant thing where it's like, oh, okay, fuck. All right. Like I overdid it that night. Like I was the bitch, you know, at the club who's like throwing out, throwing up everywhere and like getting, yeah. getting thrown up, uh, and getting thrown out. And like, by the way, I was 16. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Um, you know, okay. Like, all right. So like that's over, that's overdoing it slightly. But, you know, I think getting to a point where it's like, all right, for whatever control I have in certain moments, like I can't exercise that control over a long period of time or with like any sort of consistency. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's wild or it's like, I thought this is, <laughs> so by the time I was around like 17, I really thought I was like, okay, fuck. All right. We've got a problem with alcohol. Yeah. This is like, this is, this is really, really bad. You have a problem with alcohol. It's like out of control. Um, and I thought, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Drugs. Because in my estimation, in my alcoholism, in my addiction, I was like, drugs are quieter. Oh, yeah, totally. When I found weed, I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. That's exactly. the solution. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It was like, okay, well, I won't have the shakes tomorrow morning and like I'll, you know, be able to feel having sex or something like that. It was or like, that, like my stomach, I won't want to rip my stomach. I used to have, even from like a young age, like pretty gnarly hangovers. I have a nervous stomach. Yeah. And I was, and I remember like thinking about weed and I was like, oh my God, like I can actually like eat on it, you know? Like, yeah. Like I do it. Like I don't actually want to fucking like, physically like die and like crumble and cease to exist like yeah you know so I thought that's like I think for me you know was sort of the shift more into popping pills and you know I was like a chronic weed smoker you yeah. know day in day in and fucking day out you know mm, um, yes and it was not it was not a cute look I think I thought that I looked really different than I actually did look um oh, yeah. But you know, that that's what was so, you know, that, that the desperate experiment. Okay, I can't, I you know, I can't use alcohol the way that I was before because obviously I'm getting into too much trouble. It's like literally fucking up my entire life, which it did. Yeah. You know, like drinking, you know, I started drinking when I was 14. Um, and by the time I was 17, all of like my extracurriculars were fucked. My relationship with my parents was fucked. You know, of course it's, I think easy in some ways to say like, okay, well that's just sort of the teenage drama that, that every, that every single one of us goes through. But yeah, um, it was, it was chaos to another, another level. It was not, it wasn't a normal, like, oh, you know, my teenager like went out and like had some beers. I had, yeah. I had taken it to such an extreme and a really, yeah. and quite frankly, a very dangerous extreme, you know, yeah. especially with Xanax and alcohol and like, look, like, you know, I was, a, I was a 16 year old kid. Yeah. I was a kid and there was sex and there was dri like driving under the influence. There was so much dangerous shit that I think I thought that I was prepared for. And honestly, like, yeah, I, I really wasn't. And so when, you know, when it was, when it came down to the fact that I needed a, a quieter way to get fucked up. Yeah. that's ultimately what I decided like okay I need to go like hide out for a little bit and I need to find a quieter way to go and get fucked up yeah um and yeah. and so I replaced alcoholism with addiction and I and I truly thought I truly thought that I that I had found the way have you been single in sobriety what are the pros and cons of being sober and single <laughs> okay uh 10 out of 10 do not recommend this um <laughs> <laughs> firstly so I followed a boy into AA. Um, he, had, he had eight days sober when he brought me to my first meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, look, who am I to say whether that was like a good thing or a bad thing? Because you know what? It got me into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and to that, honestly, I'm forever grateful. We have since, you know, faded amends to one another um, and and we're on really good and, and friendly terms. Um, 
But uh, let me just say like two people in early sobriety, uh, it, for me was a very fraught situation. Yeah. Um, fun too, you know, like we hopped on a plane to Iceland with like 30 Oh days. my God. Um, did. Oh you know, God, but you know, yeah. honestly like put two newly sober people in a car in like the dead winter in Iceland and it's like, okay, like shit's gonna come up. Um, yeah. and, and shit did come up and we ended up parting ways right before I got 60 days that's actually like when when sobriety actually began to take hold because yeah. it my my sobriety then wasn't attached to a relationship it wasn't attached to a person i think the reality for me was i had a really complicated relationship with relationships and sex i think specifically mm -hmm. um i had really low self-esteem um my mo was to sleep with people to connect because yeah. i felt like such a piece of shit um, you know, and, and it, to be honest with you, it, it makes me really sad for that girl that I used to be, that it's like, I felt so undeserving to be taken out to dinner and to be treated like a lady. Um, and, um, and to have, you know, a real mutual sense of respect present in, in my relationships. Um, so for me, like I took that time to myself. I think I went on one date and I was like, this is miserable. And I just don't, I just don't want to do this. And it was a very, you know, it was like a G rated date. So, you know, I think being single for me, it was really liberating. Um, and to be honest with you, like, this might sound odd, but I think, I think I really needed that alone time where it wasn't, my schedule wasn't reliant on what somebody else is, is doing. You know, like what I can yeah. say is like being in a relationship now, a lot harder for me to engage with a morning routine um, yeah. than it was when there was just like nobody else really like around. It was like my mornings were mine for the taking. My yeah. evenings were mine for the taking. And I was still really engaging socially because I was going to so many meetings and making so many new friends. Um, so, you know, there was no lack of social engagement. And I think I really needed to develop a relationship with myself before I knew how to enter into a relationship with a sense of self-respect. And yeah. let me be clear, you know, like I, the first, the first two guys that I had sex with, like in my sobriety, other than that first, you know, relationship I had in my first 60 days, um, they, I wasn't like, oh my God, be my boyfriend. Um, but they were guys that I, you know, this, these one after another, but um, they were guys that I had known for, you know, over 10 years and, you know, it was a, it was a predominantly sexual relationship and I wasn't really kind of ready or open to something more than that. But there was a real sense of safety and there was a real sense of mutual respect. Yeah. And that for me, I think was, was the key. You're covering so many questions that I have that I, so like my other, you know, questions for you are like, what are the perks of sober sex? And, you know, have you, well, you, you've sort of touched on this a little bit, but have you dated in sobriety and the pros and cons of that? But I think what you just said about the perks of sober sex being that like there was mutual respect involved is like really, it's like an incredible thing about it, right? That like, I think I take for granted so much that like I treat myself differently and I treat others differently. And I'm also attracted to being treated well <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah you know i think i think also like my relationship with sex has been a kind of a crazy one you know throughout my sobriety um you know i i'm with like i'm you know currently in a relationship with the absolute love of my life you know he's the the actually the first boyfriend i had the only boyfriend i really had other than that you know crazy one in, in early sobriety um when i was 17. 
Oh my God. You know, that's my relationship with Mike. He's my second boyfriend ever. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, nobody really wanted to date me. Oh, <laughs> more than willing to have sex with me, but nobody, everyone was like, you're actually out of, out of your mind. I mean, I I dated like one other guy for like a month, but then yeah. he like kissed me after taking a bite of salsa. And I was like, I do not like you enough. <laughs> To like, you know, I was like, literally get away from me. I hate you. Yeah, I was so into the guys that were like, I think I like you. And I'd be like, oh, please, oh it's the like, ick. Like, I, yeah. That's so hot that you don't know if you like me. Like, yeah. It was just awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, terrible. yeah. So, like, there was, there was that. But, like, you know, then I <laughs> came to, like, this whole, this is, like, a little hard for me to talk about just because I, yeah. uh, you don't have to talk about anything. Well, no, but, but I think, but I do think that it's, like, an important thing. I, I know I'm not the only person who's yeah. gone through this. And I and I just carried so much shame for so long, even in my sobriety. I think yeah. entering into a serious relationship and developing a real sense of intimacy, you know, and I've known my current boyfriend also for 10 years. <laughs> Clearly, I have a, a pattern. But um, uh, I, I started to get a point where I was becoming very uncomfortable with my uh, sexuality um, not in regards to, to preference, but in regards to sex itself became yeah. something that, and that was really hard for me to acknowledge because I think that there was something about really sharing a deep sense of love and respect and, and knowing somebody that well, and, you know, talking about, you know, marriage and, and a life together. And it was everything that I ever wanted. And, and I, my, my body freaked out a little bit. And it felt like my libido shut off and I, you know, um, wasn't enjoying sex as much. And I remember, you know, calling my sponsor and saying, like, I think I'd be okay if I never had sex again. Um, and I say this after being a woman who, you know, like sort of my, I, I wanted to fuck like a man, you know, like when yeah. I was actively using and actively drinking, I wanted to fuck like a man, right? I wanted to sort of be emotionless and I took a lot of pride in sort of my raw female sexuality and, and wow. people sort of knew me in that way because I was so sort of upfront in the way in which I would um, engage about sex in, in my conversations with people. I think what I put off was, was that I had this very confident, secure relationship with sex. And yeah. I think it made it all the harder when I was like, I am really scared of sex. Yeah. Um, I, just overall, I, I feel like my, my, my whole body totally and completely shut off. And, um, the, the beautiful thing is, is that, you know, I chose a partner who was willing to walk down that path with me and not judge me. Yeah. And it was really hard, like, let me say, and, and it was really hard for me to say the words, like, I don't want to have sex right now. Yeah. I felt like such an absolute piece of human garbage of like, yeah. does this mean that I don't love him? Um, but, you know, I think being able to walk through that as a sober woman and then actually hearing other um, sober women who had gone through the exact same thing and come out the other side and like now having not only a loving relationship, but also like a loving sexual relationship. Yeah. And that's something that I'm still rediscovering. But, you know, I think, I think a lot of it came from so much shame and it's been a real journey of forgive self-forgiveness and yeah. redefining what a sexual relationship is and what motivates me to have sex and how it is that I want to have sex and how it is that I want to communicate with my partner around sex. So, you know, I think sober sex for me has been a really mixed bag, but what I can say is that it got me honest with myself for the very first time. And yeah. I honestly think since I lost my virginity, I yeah. never had an honest relationship with sex. There was always some ulterior motive. I thought that it was a way to connect with people. I thought it was a way to keep men around. Yeah. Um, 
it was very sort of like manipulative. It was very rooted in power and control. Um, and um, yeah, I think it, 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 <laughs> it took me being a couple of years into my sobriety to, I think, have that stuff come off. And for uh, as scary as that was, like, I'm so grateful for it, you know, and I'm so, I am so grateful to have a partner, like I said, who's willing to walk through that with me. Yeah. Um, and you know, so if like any, any other women are, are having that relationship with sex right now and are scared shitless, you know, um, I'm telling you, I've been through it and you know, you can, you can walk out on the other side. And, and for me, it started with really being honest with myself about my relationship with sex and not pretending like I was enjoying it when I wasn't, you know, in order to feel a sense of comfort or safety or freedom in sex, having to engage in drug use in order yeah. to feel some sort of pleasure is like that stuff goes so deep and it was so important to me to be able to have experienced sexual pleasure without having any sort of attachment to the partner. It felt like such a, a success when that would happen because yeah, like, then you're one of the boys. Cause then you're one of the boys. And also, cause like, I mean, you know, I mean, Julia, like I would pick, there's this one guy that I had hooked up with like forever who would like literally leave after sex, like, Mm -hmm. all the time and like I would be at like my parents house like and he would just be like okay like I'm gonna go and I would just and it broke I mean it hurt my feelings so much and all I wanted was to be able to feel like love I could hook up with someone oh yeah I mean obviously yeah. <laughs> obviously. obviously love but like also just to be able to like feel like I could hook up with someone without the emotion like without like I don't the know I would say, like, detached with being detached, like without like having, I feel like it's like having egg on your face being like, oh my God, like you have to leave. And like, I care that you're leaving right now. Like it's so, yeah. my parents even had a rule. Like this guy cannot come over unless we finally meet him. Like that's how bad it was. <laughs> you were like, oh, no. this guy was like yeah, a yeah, ghost yeah, yeah. in my life. Oh, but like, you know, and I, I mean, I, like you had sort of voiced before, right? It's like, I have so much compassion for that girl because, you know, I know that there are other women out there right now in their drinking who are just like, unsatisfied in their relationships and like the fear of having sex without a substance or even just like the fear of like, will I even be able to enjoy it? Or will I even be able to like get out of my head anymore and enjoy sex? Will I ever have a partner that treats me the way that I, that I want to be treated? Or will I ever have the type of real, you know, all of that shit. It's really? like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, you know, drugs and drugs and sex really for me go hand in hand. I always say it, but like, Absolutely. I just, you know, for sure. Um, wow. You like literally answered all of my sex questions and like in one fell swoop. That was amazing. <laughs> what are annoying questions you get about not drinking and how do you respond? The last thing I want to do at a party is be like, oh, so like here was my darkest day, you know, like sitting on my couch contemplating suicide at my at the lowest bottom I've ever yeah. reached right before I got sober. I found for me personally, not the best sort of like casual party talk. <laughs> Um, you know, but like I was at, you know, like I was at a, a barbecue the other day and everyone was putting this like tequila hibiscus into the Topo Chico. And I was just drinking my Topo Chico and someone was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, baby, Topo Chico was meant to be drank as it was meant to be drank. Like, this is perfect. You know, yeah. like I don't need, I don't need to change it, you know? So, you know, sometimes I mentioned my sobriety. I've, I've, I've had people be like, come on, take a shot, take a shot. And that's like fucking honestly sort of annoyed me where I'm like, shut up. Yeah. I want to take a shot. 
I'm uh, an alcoholic. <laughs> literally, literally, it did come to that. I, I didn't like that girl. The girl who was asking me that much, so maybe that's why I had a bit more of a of a snide a snide response. But well, I think for me, yeah, I I don't I don't need to take my sobriety that seriously in regards to the way in which I communicated about it with with acquaintances. Sure. Um, you know, I've had people give me, you know, we, if I say that I'm in the program, um, you know, of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I've had people be like, oh, like isn't that like a god cult? Um, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think, I don't know. I think for me, it's been something that I felt out over the years and I've just sort of taken note of the different ways in which people respond as a way to sort of arm myself to better navigate it. Sometimes I'll be like, you know, like, oh, like, why aren't you drinking? It's like, oh, because like, I love drugs and alcohol and like, I can't be trusted with them. Yeah. You know, it's like, whatever. I, yeah. I, I think honestly, the best thing I ever did was just stop taking myself so seriously and like mm -hmm. overthinking. Honestly, people really don't give a shit if you're drinking or not. They, yeah. I make a comment about it, but I swear if you think that you're like their top priority because if you're not drinking, yeah. you're wrong. You're like 15th or 16th on their, on their list. They don't give two fucks. Most risky thing you've done in sobriety. I feel like Iceland is pretty risky. Yeah, I guess Iceland. Yeah, like driving. Yeah, like drive, like doing like a road trip around Iceland. And like oh my, my first, like, I, yeah, I get it must have been because we broke up right before I had 60 days. So yeah, it must have been between, between like <laughs> one and 59 or something. So yeah, that was that was that was pretty fucking dumb. Do your friends know you're sober? I feel like I know the answer to this question. Mo yeah. yeah, most, right? Yeah, I think I think almost all of my friends know that I'm sober. I, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty low key person for as, yeah. you know, even as insane as I can still kind of get sometimes I keep a pretty small circle. Yeah, I'm yeah, all my friends know. Also, my other question for you is like, does your family know you're sober? But they do most of them do, right? Uh, I think my entire family knows that I'm sober. Oh, wow. What's the hardest thing you've had to face sober? My amends to my parents. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my whole life. And I thought for years that I needed something very specific from my parents in order to be okay. I think what was so scary was to like walk into that amends and like praying to God that I didn't have any expectation of what she quote unquote should give back to me. Wow. Yeah. Like that was so scary because it's like, I didn't go in being like, Oh, you know, like I don't need anything. I'm like fucking a spiritual guru. That was not mm -hmm. my experience. It was a really scary thing. And it gave me, I think, to stop putting so much expectation on what I thought she should be as a mom. Yeah. I think I've come to know her so much better and understand her and, and not say like, oh, you should be this way or you should be that way. It's like, oh yeah. my God, I love this woman and she's an absolute badass. And I didn't see it before. I didn't see it before. And like, yeah, scariest thing I've ever had to do and the hands down the most rewarding experience of my sobriety to date. I get so much out of my relationship with my parents. Wow. And I, I, I and I thought and I thought truly that that relationship was doomed. What are you focusing on in your sobriety today? Today for me I think it's really getting back to basics. I think mm. one of the most challenging parts of the pandemic for me was just obviously I'm sure for everyone every single day feeling the same. You know, the yeah. early sobriety for me and really the thing that brought me back to life was having a really sort of disciplined lifestyle in mm -hmm. regards to having a made bed, taking care of my body physically, you know, working out, not to get a certain type of body, but really just to get out excess energy and making sure that I was taking care of myself. What's the most fun thing you've done sober? Ooh, 
uh, a couple weekends ago, my boyfriend and I ended up at my parents' house and my little brother and his girlfriend were there. Mm-hmm. And we ended up like all going on a run together and oh. then going and jumping in the pool, um, playing Dibble Dabble, which is like this game where you take like a small twig and you swim into the bottom of the pool and it floats up and everyone stands around the pool and has to like jump in and grab the tiny little stick and scream Dibble Dabble at the top of your lungs. <laughs> um, yes, I am 27 years old. And <laughs> parent, we ended up, my parents got us dinner. We all ate dinner together. And then we ended the night playing Settlers of Catan. And let me just tell oh. you, I know this sounds like small, but like it was in, like, there was just so much joy yeah. that day like oh, look I can I can point to sort of like more sort of like quote unquote like uh-huh. impressive sounding things but to be honest with you like that was such a fun day where I just felt like so loved and a part of and like spending time with the people that I absolutely love and adore the most that like that was just like good genuine fun from the start of my day to the very very end of my day what sober addictions do you have nicotine yeah. Oh my God. I hope no one's like hearing me snapping my gum. My mom's always looking at me, giving me the side eye being like, you gross bitch. Like, <laughs> Why are you snapping your gum? That's disgusting. I also am like a bit of a skincare bitch. Um, <gasps> which is perfect because that's literally my next question for you, which is what, do, what is your skincare regimen? Cause that's what we do when we're sober. We just, we're just like, fuck yeah, my skin, like it's looking good. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I will say sobriety once you like deep bloat, <laughs> like yeah. the color, like I was so like gray and disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like pretty severely underweight from like all of the Adderall I was taking and wow, you know, yeah. like, it was, yeah, I saw a picture of myself and I was like, that is disgusting. Um, oh. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I'm not a big like makeup wearer. So for me, like I like to sort of like invest in um in skincare. Um, I love this this um uh what would you call it? This like product um or this line called Osea. I think that's how you say it. O-S-E-A. Yeah, so I, I use like the milk cleanser. Um and then I have um like an ocean algae spray. Um, I also have like an algae face mask that I sometimes use. Um, I have like a hydrating oil. Sometimes I do like an anti-aging oil with like an eminence vitamin C and E serum. And then um, I just got this from that same company, um, this like atmosphere protection cream. But yeah, I love, I love a good skincare moment because there's nothing better than that feeling of just, I am a fresh faced plump bitch and here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, and now my final question for you. It better be good if it's the final question. <laughs> What's your favorite color? No. <laughs> uh, what is one thing about sobriety that you want every newly sober woman to know? You have no idea the woman that you can become sober. That in your drinking and your using, you have lost the capacity to imagine the incredible human being you can become. Stick with it put your entire heart into it, do it like your life depends on it because it does, you will be shocked at the woman that you see looking back at you in the mirror a year from now if you really do the work. Woo! Julia, please. That was like, damn, I have chills. Oh my God. Uh, I knew I knew it was just going to be a home run with that question. I was like, what you got for me, girl? I know. I know you're going to hit it out of the park. Like, this is what it is. Oh my God. What if God. I did it? What if I said something really dumb? What if you were like, what, what if I was like, it gets worse. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for, I mean, fucking everything. I love you so much. I, I love you, you so later. much. All right. I love you, Case. Good night, babe. 
The CDC reported that there were an estimated 100,306 drug overdose deaths in the United States during the 12-month period ending in April 2021, an increase of 28.5% from the 78,056 deaths during the same period the year before. The estimated overdose deaths from opioids increased to 75,673 in the 12-month period ending in April 2021, which is an increase of 19,609 deaths from the previous year. According to the CDC, excessive alcohol consumption is responsible for an average of 261 deaths a day in the United States, though this is a number based off of a study that was conducted from 2011 to 2015, so there is no current data to reflect the increase of these numbers today in 2022. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent AA or any other 12-step program as a whole. You may hear us refer to the program as shorthand for our personal experience in 12-step recovery programs, but this podcast does not promote or endorse any specific program of recovery. The sole purpose of these interviews is to show you that there is hope and that sobriety is not a death sentence. It's quite the opposite. Thank you.